Welcome to The Messy Studio with Rebecca Kroll, the podcast at the intersection of art, travel, entrepreneurship, philosophy, and life in general. I am Ross Tickner, Rebecca's producer, media guru, and her son. On today's show, uh, we're launching into 2019 with a topic that was requested by a listener, um, and that's how to choose a workshop. And with me coming to us from New Mexico is Rebecca Kroll. Hello, everyone. Yes, uh, broadcasting from the Blanket Fort in New Mexico. Um, and it, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, before we get into the, the uh, podcast fully, um, I want to mention that Squeegee Press is starting out 2019 with the uh, launch of our, our new video. So uh, you can go to our website to learn more about that. It's not actually available yet, but we're wrapping up all the final edits and I'm very excited to be. Yes, and uh, congratulations on that. I I know that it's been a a tremendous amount of work that you've put into it. Oh, Um, it's very high production value on on the video. Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that people are are actually going to get really, really good value for their money out of this. um, Yeah. Look at what people spend uh, going to a workshop, which is basically what we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> right, right. So it does tie in, and um, yeah, it's this. Uh, we our idea for the video was that it would cover everything that you would get coming to a workshop. So it's over five hours long. Of course, a workshop experience is always going to be different. You have that personal interaction with the instructor, right. but um, I think it's a it's a good alternative and. We, we have it kind of set up that the book and the video and a personal workshop are all related but different. So you would get different things out of each one, but any one of them would be a very good foundation for working with cold wax. So that's, um, that's basically the content of the video and it will, it is available for pre-sale right now. You can, you can go to our website and sign up to, to get it when it comes out. In we're aiming at mid February, maybe earlier, but um, that's that's what we're saying. So um, anyway, so yeah, let's talk about workshops. And we we've talked about workshops from the perspective of teaching them early on. We had a couple of podcasts about that. So this one we want to be more from the perspective of someone taking a workshop and um, how to choose one. And and I, I guess I'd like to start with even how do you decide to even take one at all. Um, Starting a new year here, and you may look ahead to the 2019 and say, this year, you know, I'm going to take a workshop or I'm going to take two workshops or whatever it is. And thinking about, you know, how do you how do you come to that decision and what does that actually mean for you? Um, I know occasionally in my own workshops, I get the sense that someone has come to the workshop at not an ideal time for them. Maybe they just had another workshop with a different instructor completely, you know, a month ago. Um, Maybe they're not quite there in their work to take full advantage of what's being offered. And I think those are kind of uh, red flags if if you're honest with yourself. You know, is this Am I at the stage where this particular workshop is really what I need? And you can you, know, you can get a little carried away by oh this particular instructor or this location, but I think it's good to try to be very objective about it when you when you decide to do it. Well, and the reality is that these things are expensive, um, and uh, you know that when you're investing in yourself, uh, when you're spending money on education, um, that's generally a pretty good investment to make. But you want to be very careful about how you're spending your money. 
Right. Be, be strategic. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about in depth, like things to look at. And I, I think starting with, is this actually, you know, what I want to do? <laughs> or does it just sound like fun? And, and that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going to a really nice location with a good instructor and having fun. I mean, that's all perfect. But it's, uh, there's a little soul searching, I think, that should go into it. And also a little actual uh, working in the realm of whatever the workshop is about. So, for example, if you were to take an introduction to cold wax medium workshop, you might, you know, spend some time before the workshop at least getting the materials, playing around, getting a feel for it. And then you don't come in the first day feeling absolutely green, you know. Um, right. And and so th- I think any workshop you take, you can do some kind of preparation, even if it's just looking at artists who work in that medium or, you know, reading up, doing a little bit of research, getting some some groundwork. And also, ideally, you have some foundation in basic art principles because that's a very difficult thing from the instructor's point of view to really communicate with you if you don't have some basic art language or understanding of, you know, what are the visual elements, for example. You kind of need that language to to get going and to really, you know, step into the class like fully engaged. So I would make those suggestions even before you start pinpointing what and where. Well, and it's it's right there in the name. It's called a workshop. Uh, You know, you're there to work. It's not a vacation. Yes. (laughs) Um, I mean, it can be fun. Work can be fun. But uh, you're going to get more enjoyment and more value out of it if you come prepared and you're prepared to to work while you're there. Right. And we, you know, we've discussed in other podcasts about the location of a workshop can be really important to the content, you know, so that's sometimes you go to a nice place and it's really just a backdrop, you know, and it's nice, nice places to go out to eat or whatever. And that's all good. But there are workshops where, you know, the location is going to feed the work in some way. The instructor is making an effort to get you to experience the location. And a lot of these um, ones that are in other countries and so on, that, that is part of it, definitely. So that's all that's all a consideration. Um, but I guess I'd like to go on a little bit into some of the more specific things. And, one of, of course, one of the biggest things is the instructor. And I, I have more to say about that in a minute, so maybe we skip over that one. Uh, for now, but um, the what is the media, what is the technique being taught, that sounds really obvious, right? But a lot of people, a lot of artists work in different media, right? So maybe you, you work in acrylic and cold wax and printmaking and you do some drawing and, and, that's, and that's how you are. So is this particular medium and technique the one that you want to put some real effort into? And that's a that's probably a pretty intuitive feeling you have, you know, like I'd really like to know more about printmaking. So, you know, we can kind of go with that. But it's it's worth considering if you do a lot of different media, say, where where do I want to put my money in focus, you know? Um the location, as we just kind of mentioned, there are pros and cons to um being close to home for one thing. Uh, sometimes a a workshop in another country or far away has something to offer that you wouldn't get in your own city, but of course, uh, nearby is going to be less expensive for you. And so kind of asking how much is the travel experience actually part of it? 
And if it is, and if you're excited about going to Greece or something, then trying to determine how much of the workshop is going to be open to, you know, field trips and things like that, or do you need or do you want to schedule sightseeing time outside the workshop? And this is something that comes up a lot when I teach in Ireland, for example, and a lot of people will come and spend even, you know, up to a week or something in another location and go to Dublin and stuff and then come to the workshop and then they've kind of seen some things, they're ready to settle down and work. Uh, but if you go to a place and you've been there, uh, you know, you're maybe a little distracted by wanting to, to get out and sightsee. And so those are things, you know, location is a big one. Um, obviously, you know, your personal situation, your logistics, your work, your other responsibilities, um, how long you can be away. Sometimes if you look at an instructor that you like, you'll see that they offer workshops that are different lengths of time. So they, they may teach a three or four day one, or they may teach a two week one. And if you look at the two week one, you say, oh, I can't do that and just shut down the idea. You know, look a little deeper and see if they also teach some shorter ones, some closer to home, if you, if it's a uh, financial issue. And, and one thing I want to say too about your personal timing is kind of hit on it a little bit by saying, Somebody might not get the most out of a workshop if they just had another one, you know, a month before from someone else. It's really good to give yourself a, a space of time around the workshop. So beforehand, kind of getting ready and afterward, really important to give yourself some time to consolidate what you've learned and, you know, do the hands-on stuff in your own studio. Um Otherwise, it's not really going to take very well. And I speak from experience on this. I studied some printmaking a couple summers ago and thought I had it all. You know, okay, I've got it. This is great. And I realize now I have forgotten a lot of it because I didn't dive right in and do a month of printmaking <laughs> So when I got home. And it's just, you know, it's the way we learn. We have to apply it. So I would say when you're looking at your calendar, you know, see if you can find a place where you'd actually have some time when you got home again to practice this stuff. Um, and of course, you know, budget, pricing, there's, there's a lot of related costs if you're traveling. Um, you know, you mentioned the, you know, the educational value is absolutely there, but sometimes people forget to consider <laughs> uh, the travel expense and, you know, sometimes you have to pay a lot of times you have to find your own lodging, your own meals. Well, and I think that when you're when you're considering um, the budget for something like this, um, if you compare it to like a university experience where you're spending, you know, maybe a few hours per week in a classroom setting versus a workshop experience where it's it's totally immersive and you're working all day long yes. with an instructor present and you may get you know, a full semester worth of education out of a two-week workshop, you know? And and I think that you need to yeah, consider absolutely. that in your budget, yeah. you know, in terms of if you were spending this amount of money on a different source for that education, how much would you be willing to spend on that? Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, and I, I think, you know, again, when we talk about the instructor, you'll be able to tell how much... Um, sort of added value the instructor is able to offer you within the class as opposed to just straightforward technique or something. 
But if there's more of that sort of contextual conversation and presentations, you will, yeah, you come away with a very pretty much in-depth experience that um, could be comparable to a college uh, class for a semester if you were only there, yeah, like you say, an hour or two a week. So I, I think that's all really good. It, it's its its own world. It's its own thing. Um, a lot of people that have had a number of workshops, you know, this stuff is kind of that you, you, you live and learn. You know this stuff already. But if you're just starting out and wondering, uh, you know, there's a lot to consider. And the other thing I want to mention, um, kind of I think, calling back the uh, conversation of personal logistics and location um, is that it may be to your advantage to kind of make yourself unavailable to other people and having a distant location can help with that. Um, You know, if you're too close to home, um, you know, other people may feel free to contact you and try to pull you away. And if you're really going to get that, that full immersive experience out of a workshop, you need to be doing basically nothing but that. You know, maybe you can have a few phone conversations or email exchanges or whatever uh, throughout the week or two that you're doing it. But you you don't want to be getting called away by friends and family to go do other things during the workshop. Yeah, and that is so true. And I've always noticed workshops where people in locations where, say, some of the class is actually staying right there. Or they're all you know they all go out to dinner. They do stuff afterwards. And some people. Uh, who happen to live there are going home to their own houses for dinner and and whatnot. And I, I see a difference because there's a there's a interaction and bonding between the people that are always together and the people that depart every day at four thirty or five. Um, there's also though sometimes it's good, you know. And I mean it's it's kind of what what you prefer if you like to get away from it for a little bit. Maybe you need to. Uh, so those are all yeah kind of personal things to think about um, another thing where you were talking about the comparison to a college classroom, typically the workshop size of this workshop number of students is much lower. So somewhere between uh, 10 and 12 students is typical. And sometimes there's only eight or less in a workshop. And so you're going to get a lot of one-on-one time, ideally at least. Um, So, um, also pay attention when you're looking at the description of the workshop. And this is something that as an instructor, I sometimes run into realizing that somebody didn't really read the description or they read the description and put their entire own spin on it. <laughs> and so I just want to say a little word about the kind of things that are put out there describing the class. There, First of all, there may be some prerequisites. The instructor may say, as I do in mine, you know, you should have painting experience. And it, if it's an intro class, that can, that's probably not going to be cold wax. It could be. But, um, you know, some different instructors will have different things where they say, you know, you should have done this before you come and pay attention to that because you're only harming yourself if if you don't. And um, I think the the description itself, now these are often often put out way before the workshop. So if you're teaching through a particular venue and they want to get it on their website, they might ask you for the class description up to a year ahead of time. And most instructors tweak things and change things a little bit because we learn as we go. And so a lot of these descriptions are kind of purposefully a bit vague, 
they're not usually extremely detailed unless the person always teaches the same way. And so, I mean, actually, if you saw a very detailed description, you could assume that the instructor is in somewhat of a mode where they don't really change things up very much. So um, all that to say, when you read the description, try not to get too too uh, picky about what you think is actually going to happen there. There should be a general feeling of the direction, the expectations on you as a student, and some some description of what the instructor is going to provide. And other than that, um, you know, it, it, you can you can again be be disappointed if you build up an idea in your mind that the instructor is going to absolutely cover this or that. If it's not in the description, but you assume it, you and, can be disappointed. In the description, you also and want so, to be paying attention to things like um, whether the uh, cost of the class is going to be refundable um, and those kind of like basic, absolutely. You know, yes, absolutely. The The financial setup is really important. They've It varies widely because some, you know, some people when they teach individually, they're not working through a venue will have their own way of dealing with refunds and stuff that may be more generous or more strict. Institutions like teaching through an art college or something, you know, they're, they're pretty, they're pretty set, you know, this is the way it is. And, but it varies completely from, there are workshops where you have to pay the whole thing up front and that's it. Well, and if you have <laughs> that, any that questions about, Usually, about the financials or about the class description or whatever, um, you know, you should definitely ask questions and contact whoever's putting it on and, Absolutely. And and in terms of content, you know, you can ask the instructor, do you plan to cover this or that? If there's something you really want to know, I think it's fine to ask. Um, and the whole financial thing, I think, is, I think it's good to put yourself in the place of the people who are teaching or organizing or it's their venue or whatever it is, and realize how much work goes into organizing these things. And so, most of the time you're going to have some sort of non-refundable deposit. And that is really just, you know, it pays for a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And it's just, um, you know, I think it makes sense. It's respectful to say, I'm going to put this much money down and it's yours, even if I cancel. Uh, typically they're not enormous amounts, but it's something, it's like something to say, yeah, I'm really serious because it's very hard when people start canceling. Even if you have a waiting list, it's still a lot of work to start, you know, contacting those people. Some of them will have changed their minds. And so every time there's a cancellation, it presents um, a whole, it's like, it's like starting a whole other process. To well, find and there's someone. all the, the work that you have to put into filling that spot and... Um, as you mentioned, the the preparation, um, you know, I, I, I'm I not uh, really doing it anymore, but for a while I was uh, driving Uber and Lyft, and uh, it was always really frustrating for me when I would show up somewhere to pick somebody up, and, um, you know, they wouldn't need the ride anymore, and they hadn't canceled before I had gotten there. And, uh, you know, just uh, the last time I was out driving, um, you know, there, I was picking a girl up at the bar, and... Uh, she said, uh, oh, can you cancel? I forgot to cancel it. And I was like, well, I'd really prefer if you would cancel the ride. And she was like, well, no, because I don't want to pay for it. Oh, and, yeah. And I mean, I, I was, it's just, it's really frustrating for, for whoever is providing that service because they've put work in that they're now not going to get paid for. Right. And, 
you know, another thing that happens is sometimes people say, uh, can I take that registration fee and apply it to another workshop in the future? And that sounds reasonable. And some places and some instructors are perfectly happy to do that. But it, <laughs> you still have the issue of filling the spot, which is a lot of work. And um, there's still this, it's, it's sort of unfinished business. It's hanging out there. So right. there's a book, there's a bookkeeping issue. And and then there's the opportunity cost of what you could have done with that time if you weren't spending it on that. Yeah, um, so you know, I I think you know if if you get upset about those sort of policies, you know, try to see it from the other side too, because, um, you know, it, you can feel a little self righteous and say, well, you can just put somebody else in there; it's no nothing to you. But it's not the case. It's it's a lot of work. So, um, anyway, that's. Really re- read the fine print on all that stuff because sometimes you people don't they have no idea and then when they if they do need to cancel they're shocked so uh, definitely check that all out um, and and pay attention to the pay schedule because or you know the fee schedule because sometimes you pay a registration fee and then there's another intermediate payment and then there's a final payment and other times it's just registration fee or whatever is called uh, deposit and then. Um, then everything is due later. So understand all that stuff. Understand what you're paying for. Are you? Is there anything for room and board, or is that for you to find on your own? Another thing, you know, take responsibility for the travel. Because <laughs> another thing I can say from the perspective of a instructor is, and you know, basically I don't really mind. But sometimes people will say, "Well, what's the nearest airport, or how do I get there, and where am I going to stay, and all this stuff?" And it's like. If you answer those questions for every person, it's pretty difficult. And a lot of times you'll see kind of a general information sheet for a workshop that's in a, you know, wherever it is. They'll say, here's the nearest airport. Here's how to get to the place. That's all good. But when you get down to really specific questions about what hotel should I stay at, um, that's not really the instructor's job to tell you that. Right. And uh, sometimes there will be a, a place kind of set aside for the workshop in terms of lodging or yes. or what have you. It could be like on location at a place where there's lodging. Right. Um, or there yeah. could be a, a group rate set up at a, a local, you know, B&B or exactly. hotel or whatever. But yeah. So you have to think be about. expected necessarily unless you go out looking no. for a workshop where that, that is specifically included. Yeah, it's another personal, you know, preference. Do you want it? Do you want kind of a package deal? And there are plenty of those where you just pay one fee and it's all there for you. You got your food, you got your place, you got your workshop, and it's really easy. I mean, you probably have to come up with your own airfare, but those package deals can be so convenient. And they, you know, usually the whoever's figuring it out is trying to get you the best deal. So, you know, that's that's something to look for if you like that convenience. Um. And I guess just a couple more points about before we go into talking about the instructor. Um, and these are more kind of general points, I guess, but being kind of ready. Like if you have your eye on something and you know somebody teaches somewhere every year or something, um, see if you can get on a, a, in a list to be notified or try to figure out how you're going to know when this happens. A lot of when it's a popular instructor, a lot of times the classes seem to fill up before you even know it, or they're they're just done by word of mouth almost. And so trying to get into that loop, does the person typically announce on Facebook, then try to look at their Facebook page, you know, or something. So um, if they're working through a venue, a lot of times there's a list that will be kept for, 
future classes and you can get in touch with the venue and say, I'd like to be notified the next time this person is teaching. And so, you know, doing whatever you can to sort of get that inside track, because unfortunately, um, it's by the time it gets out there, it's probably almost full a lot of times, not always, but you know, it's, it's good to kind of be a step ahead if you can be. Um, and that, that can be frustrating. I, I realize that I, I have people saying to me, well, I, I've been trying to get into your class in Ireland for five years or something. And I don't know. It's just do what you can do and, and make sure that whoever's, I don't keep that list for Ireland, but I mean, get your name on there and it will come as it comes up, you'll be notified. So, um, so that is one little tip. And then also, um, uh, just, when you go in, just as I mentioned with the description, try to be realistic about what you're there to do. Um, as you said, you're there to work and work hard. Um, if you have physical limitations and you can't spend the whole day working, most instructors are really fine with that. And, you know, you just tell them, I've, you know, I've got a back problem and I'm going to have to quit early or whatever. That's, everybody tries to work around that, I think. Um, but otherwise, you know, they're pretty full days and, um, and I think the expectations that you have are important. So expecting that you're just there to kind of learn and make a mess and you're not going to produce necessarily something to put in your next, next exhibit. <laughs> and, you know, watching, kind of watching your own ego too, because sometimes people at least sub un unconsciously think they want to be the star or they want to prove that they can do everything. And I mean, really it is, it's easy to fall into that, but it's best to try to let go of that. <laughs> I mean, the the very best classes are non-competitive and they're generous and people are friendly and help each other. And so everybody that goes has a part in making that happen. And, you know, looking at it as kind of a, a team, you're there as a group. And those are wonderful classes when people really reach out to each other and are friendly and helpful. So I, I would say those are kind of some mental preparations, maybe. Um, so there's a bit to say about instructors, um, quite a bit. And this is, um, I think, more and more something to be aware of, because in certain fields of study, there the instructors are just multiplying. And I know when I first started teaching cold wax medium well there wasn't anyone and then after a while there were some and now there's more and more and more and more and I see names I don't recognize at all which is fine everybody is learning and all everybody's learning from each other and so it's just expanding like crazy uh, this also happened I know in the the world of encaustic painting and lots of other genres I'm sure there's just a, a lot of people out there so so being a little do your do your homework, you know, about who you're going to be taking a class from. Um, I think most obviously you want to see what their experience is. And I, you know, everybody has to start somewhere. So I'm not saying never take a class with somebody who hasn't taught. But I think if that's the case and they don't seem to have taught very much, I would say start with their, their artwork and look at what they do. And if it's if it's high quality and professional and good and you like it a lot, then there's a pretty good chance it'll be a good class. Like not everybody's a good artist and a good teacher, but 
you know, at least that's a pretty good basis to start with, I think, is look at the Well, and if somebody doesn't have that that really strong track record, that should be reflected in the price. And if you're looking for more of like kind of working on a budget, um, going with a a, a slightly less experienced instructor may be a good way to um, make a workshop fit into your budget. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, At the same time, if the person isn't really qualified to teach, you're wasting that money. So you really do have to look at, you know, if they don't have a track record of teaching, they may be just starting out and, but I would really look at their work. And I would say with any, any class, look at the instructor's work. Now, some instructors, you know, they can vary a lot. Some instructors basically teach to paint like them. You know, this is what I do. So you come to class, I will teach you exactly how to paint like me. If that's what you want, then you can find that out. If you prefer somebody who says, this is what I do, but I want to help you figure out what you want to do, that's a different approach. And um, I think looking at things like student testimonials, most instructors have quotes from people on their website. And you can sort of tell by reading those what the general approach is. Uh, You can also tell, I think, again, from the description of the class, whether it's very, very point by point, or is it more generalized? Um, So it's a lot of kind of reading between the lines, honestly. Uh, You can, if you see somebody on Facebook or social media saying they took a class from so-and-so and and they liked it, you can, maybe you can talk to them and say, what is it you liked about it? And if they say, well, I liked it because I learned exactly how to paint a painting like the instructor, well, is that what you want or not? I mean, might be, but might not be. So um, liking something, you know, is different for everyone. (laughs) So anyway, I think there's a lot of sort of behind the scenes looking around that you can do to try to figure out if a person has a good reputation or not. And, um, And I think looking at their actual, uh, if they if they post their teaching record or where they have taught, that's interesting because you could sort of tell. I think the most well known or popular or respected teachers, and those are not all necessarily the same thing, but um, travel a lot and they because they're in demand, so they'll teach around the country or maybe they'll teach overseas, and it shows that they they're in demand, and so that's. That's at least something to understand about them, you know, kind of see where they go. Um, but, you know, none of these things are absolute. And it's, it's, um, there's a lot of things that you just, you will probably take some workshops that you're not that crazy about. <laughs> it's sort of inevitable if you take more than a few. Um, yeah, and that's the case with any kind of educational experience. You know, if you go to college for art, then you're going to end up taking some classes that you're not happy with either. Absolutely. And, um, you know, you, I think most people get something out of anything they do. If, if you go in with the attitude that, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn something here. And it's, it can, you know, there's always a lot about attitude when you go into something like that. How involved are you going to be? Are you going to be... Um, are you going to be open to what the instructor suggests? Can you take kind criticism or direction or, you know, does that bother you? And, you know, if you don't want that, it's, again, the instructor's uh, personal styles can vary a lot. Some are very direct and, you know, there's no 
there's no uh, messing around. They're going to tell you what they think. Other people are more indirect or tactful, or but then sometimes people don't want that, and they want somebody to say, "Hey, this really isn't working," you know. And I suppose it's a bit harder to figure out someone's personality without actually experiencing it. But uh, people have reputations, I guess. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, there's a lot to think about, and and as far as like, how do you even find workshops? Um, one of the things you know we've talked about here is you you hear people talking about them or or you notice somebody teaching whose work you like and so you start to try to figure out where are they teaching when look at their schedule um there are also some websites out there that just list workshops all over the place and under particular approaches and techniques and things like that and so you can start there just by online research who's teaching what where when and then take a look at your own calendar and see what might fit in. Well, do you have any uh, final thoughts to kind of wrap up this episode? Yeah, I think, um, I guess going into into taking a workshop, ideally, you know, you've put some thought into whether this is the right time for you, it's the right medium and technique for you, and um, you understand, you've carefully read the facts about the workshop as presented. You know, you've looked at the the cost, the location, the logistics, your finances, all that stuff. And you've also done some sort of background research on the type of instruction it appears to be. Maybe talk to people who've had the class online. You know, you can message them or email them. Uh, if you have any questions about the... Um, the content of the class, the instructor should be willing to to explain that to you in more detail, and then um, you know then make your make your decision, but try to be very realistic about it. Not have you know built up a lot of expectations about it, and just go in with a sort of open attitude and um, and just also figure that it's look at the workshop in the context of of time, that it's going to take time to digest this stuff. It's going to take time to work it into your own approach. It's not like you're overnight or in a few days or a week going to, you know, you may see some stuff in, in the workshop, which is which is breakthrough work, and that often happens. But then the hard work begins of what are you going to do with that? You know, how are you going to work it into what you do? And take it forward. And so the workshop is just one step. It's not a, um, you know, a, a, the resolution of a problem, say, if you're stuck in your work, it's a step. So I think having those kind of, you know, realistic ideas is good. Well, that about wraps up this episode of The Messy Studio. You can find The Messy Studio on Facebook, as well as public profiles for both Rebecca Kroll and myself, Ross Tickner please make sure to check out squeegeepress.com as well as www.rebeccacroll.com and sign up for the email list to stay up to date on events, book signings, and openings. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, or Stitcher and leave us a rating and a review. Remember to share the show with friends and family and anyone who you think will enjoy it. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week with more art and entertainment. In the meantime, embrace your creative space. Messy or otherwise. Thanks, everybody.